This is Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Mark. I'm Matt Henry. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Lena. All right, guys, like and share. Matt, what are we talking about? We are talking about discernment. And the Christian. And the Christian. Yeah, I guess that's important. Anyhow, so we've already done a series on decision-making, but this is a kind of a subset of that. Uh, bottom line, life is a series of decisions. Um, Decisions that affect you, but they have no say in them. Decisions that you make that define a road in life that you have to travel. Um, Decisions that are big or small. Um, And when you're making decisions, you need discernment. So what is a decision, what is discernment? It's definition. The the one we're going to work with is this. It is the act of distinguishing between that which is wise or foolish, good or evil, holy or unholy, right or wrong, but also what is better and what is best, what is good and what is excellent. So with that, a passage that we would say would be a good one just to consider is Proverbs 14, 12, where it says, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. In other words, you're picking this path, you discern that this is the good one, the right one, but in the end, it literally destroys you. And there's all kinds of ways you can deal with that text, but the way we're just dealing with it in, is in the realm of decision-making and life itself. So, yeah. So kind of to begin, the, the better defined your theology of both man and sin, the more uh, you see the need to actually develop a strong understanding of discernment. Right. So if you, if you don't have those or a solid foundation there, then discernment's not going to be all that important to you. So you say discernment, not discernment. Which well, one's the right one? I don't know. What do you do with an SC? I say CERN. You say <laughs> discipline? <laughs> Discipline. Yeah. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you say the word. What's that? Discernment. Oh, bam. No, no. you copied him. <laughs> All right, we're not even going to acknowledge <laughs> you. <now. laughs> All right. Well, so, so in Ephesians 2, uh, verses 1 through 3, um, if, if that's a true statement, then how much trust should you put in the systems of this age in the, the world? That's what we're going to ask here. Right. Um, and so in Ephesians 2 verses 1 and 3, it says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So that's just the, that's the state of man. Right. That's the natural state of man. Right. Right. Um, so just picking out the realities that once belonged to a Christian, the question we have is, can we honestly think that things like government systems, financial systems, educational systems, employment systems, so on and so forth, are somehow not completely controlled and, and then defined by these realities? Right. If that's a state of man, and these are man-made systems, then that's what controls and defines them. It, 
and we're not saying that, I mean, we can't divorce ourselves from those. I mean, we right. still live within a political system, right? I mean, so we have to, but but in there, how do we work our way through it? How do we, navigate as a Christian, yeah, that's yeah. the word I'm looking for, navigate. So, so with that, you know, you, you have questions then that you ask, you know, what worldview is being poured into the minds of our children in schools if they're at there for six, eight hours a day? Or what worldview is flowing through the songs and the TV shows that we listen to? Or what worldview is undergirding our approach to making and saving money? What worldview is present in your workplace training seminars or sensitivity training? In other words, we're saying in all of these systems, there's something else going on too. There's a worldview that's being proffered. And and if you're in these, you need to be able to discern that and figure out now, how do I posture myself and how do I speak or how do I speak to others about that? Our children, our spouses, all of that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and if you don't think that there's some kind of force or worldview that's <clears throat> always present, then ask yourself why then Paul says these words in Romans 12, one through two. He says, therefore I urge you, so this is a strong term and command, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, with this verse, what you have to notice is the passive nature of these verbs. He says, do not be conformed but be transformed. And so the passive idea of conform means there's a constant force or pressure that's burying itself upon our minds that shapes and informs and molds our thoughts and our values and our desires. And, and so the very fact that it's passive means you, you literally have to do nothing, right? Um, in order for these realities to shape and control your thoughts and desires, you just have to exist. You just have to be there. And yet as you exist, it's constantly working and conforming um, itself in your life without you even knowing it. Um, and so it's a very powerful force. And yet, because it's a reality, which belongs to the world, um, meaning Satan's domain, he says, do not be conformed to this world. Yeah. And, and it's a term for age. It's not, it's not the cosmos. Yeah. Right. Um, it's, it's very subtle. It's a very subtle thing, right? Right. Um, because that's also a key mark of how Satan works right. is he is subtle. And so if it's an age or a world or however you want to translate it, that belongs to him, that that force then is also gonna be subtle. Uh, and so if we're not a, aware of this constant conforming pressure of the world or think that it's not really all that bad or it's just more neutral than we really think it is, it simply goes to show how much we're not aware of the passive nature of it, nor really acknowledging that a true battle exists there. And, and it's so important to grasp that and, and we'll try to emphasize in different ways as we go through this uh, podcast tonight. But. You know, we gave some examples. Uh, they're not meant to be an attack on the things themselves specifically. They're just things. Money is money. Um, but when discussing the subject, people invariably tend to become defensive uh, because likely there are things raised that they become uncomfortable hearing or, or thinking through. I, I'm just thinking about any time I have to preach on giving. You know, some are just so receptive to it, but so many others. Now you're probing into something, you know, that's like yeah, private. Yeah. yeah, and you know, and they don't appreciate. It. They they feel like there's a hidden agenda behind it. When they, you're like, look, it's a scriptural concept. We need to think about it, and how do we approach it? And so, for us as pastors, 
Um, the issue is the how and the why and the for what goal uh, is behind the decisions that people are making. It People can make decisions all day long that, you know, Lena makes a decision and you make a decision and Mark, you make a decision and they're all three of the same decision. The decision itself may not be a bad decision in itself, but the why mm -hmm. might be totally different for all three of you. For you, it's you want to make big bucks and become that powerful person. For you, it's uh, Lena, you want to make more money so that you might give more away. Um, what you know, I don't. I don't have a third one, so I'll just ignore you now on that. But the idea again is why and what's the motivations? How are we going to go about doing that? What's the goal behind it? That's very important. So, uh, an example is what is a proper goal for parents as they view their children? Something I've dealt with over the years. The correct answer should be to raise godly children who glorify God. Um, in other words, the great catechism question is what is the chief end of man? to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And that's so true, and it should be the goal of all Christian parents. And so if that's agreed, and we're not debating that, then the question regarding every single parenting decision, that's where the rub is. Now, every single parenting decision and method becomes, how is this moving us and our children toward that end? Does that make sense? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and that, it at least for me, that makes things a lot more clear. It doesn't make it easier, though. Right. It it just makes it more okay. clear. And so, for Kim and I, as we were raising our children, there are all kinds of times where we faced extremely unpopular decisions for Kim and I, because we didn't want to do it. Our children, they were certainly not wanting us to. <laughs> but also, even within the churches, we were new. I was a new pastor, and people were watching us. Um. And so, in, in all of those subtle pressures and not-so-subtle pressures, what helped guide us is, in what way is this moving our children? Is this, what way is this moving Kim and I, our household, in, in a manner that's going to glorify God? So, all of a sudden, even though it wasn't a pleasant decision or decisions that we were making, we were able to discern much better what was the right decision, if that makes sense. Yeah, because you're constantly asking why right, right. and what's the greater goal. So a good example of this actually is King Solomon. Yeah. Right? Um, so in, in First Kings 3, Solomon famously asked that question of God to have wisdom rather than riches or a long life, right. as he says, um, which are common desires in our culture. We know that. Um, but the result is that God actually gives those things to him. Um, but what's worth noting is that Solomon, his request there um, is specifically noted as being not self-centered. Um, in fact, God actually says, because you have not asked for yourself those things, right. he then adds all these things to him. Um, and so actually this, this brings up James 4, right? Where people are rebuked by God because they're praying, but they're praying with selfish motives. Um, he doesn't praise him for that. He actually rebukes them harshly by calling them adulteresses who are friends of this age and making them God's enemies. James would be fired as a pastor. <laughs> Probably never hired in the first place. <laughs> um, but, but Solomon's request showed a lot of discernment before he, he opened his mouth to pray. Um, he, he clearly gave a lot of thought. Perhaps he um, fought through various selfish motives and ideas when he was asking God. He, he considered them and rejected them. He asked rather what was most needful rather than perhaps what was most comfortable. And I think that's worth just acknowledging is that 
a lot of times we just kind of, whatever comes to our mind, we just start spouting off as a prayer rather than saying, I want to pray. I want to ask God. I want to seek for wisdom. Now let's think about that. You know, um, it's not like he doesn't know what's in your mind anyhow. So yeah. wrestle with it. Think it through. Why Why do I want to ask it this way? Um, and I, yeah, that initial prayer for wisdom was coming from a man who was about ready to take over God's nation. And I, 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 I can't prove it, but I truly believe he had all those normal temptations that anyone would. But then he discerned, what I need is wisdom. Right. And, and God richly granted it. But yeah. that's not where it ends. Yeah. So in, in chapter 9, then, of 1 Kings, um, after seeing Solomon serve God for a while, um, God warns him that he is to continue serving God in wisdom. Um, and if if he or his sons do not, then Israel as a nation was going to be dealt with severely by God. Yeah, no pressure there. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and yet, um, later in the same chapter, he's acquiring a large number of horses and chariots for himself, um, even though God had said in Deuteronomy 17, 16, for instance, not to do that. Um, again, there's decisions there. There's discernment there. Um, and then in chapter 11, we read of him taking, you know, 700 wives and 300 concubines, um, the, these foreign women, again, in rejection of Deuteronomy 17, 17. And the reason God there forbade that, um, which is interesting because he doesn't do it out of the idea of monogamy, no. um, even though that's implicit. But the reason he gave there is so, because he knew that it would draw his heart away from, from righteousness and from God himself. Um, and that's exactly what happened, right? By 1 Kings 11, he's now keeping his wives happy by actively having places of false and idol, uh, idolatrous worship built up yeah. just to keep his wives happy. Um, and so he starts worshiping these these gods. I can't pronounce her names. I, I think I'm going to say Chamos, but it could be Kamos and Milcom. Sure. Well, one's the Ammonites. The Milcom is the Ammonites. And, and Chamos or Kamos uh, is the Moabites. But they're actually the same God, um, Molech, right? Yeah. Which is the one you offer your baby children. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I mean, get get your head. He, we, we, in what First Kings three or something, he's granted great wisdom, and now yeah. by First Kings eleven, well, except for some babies, right? You know, well, yeah. I, I need my wife happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so in First Kings eleven nine through 10, it says, Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning these things, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. Um, and then ultimately his son splits the kingdom. Right. Um, what, what's interesting about this in verse 4 um, of that chapter is you see Solomon's divided heart. Um, it says, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord, his God. Yeah, as, the key word being holy, right? Right, yeah, W-H-O-L, oh, yeah. yeah. Wholly devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his father had been. Um, just a note on that is, is I think it's a good lesson because we often fool ourselves into thinking that we're being faithful um, because there's areas in life that are devoted to God. Right. Right. So we'll, we'll go to church. We'll, we'll give, we'll help our children memorize Bible verses, so on and so forth. But we don't often consider the nature of a divided heart in other areas of life. Um, and so we can easily look past parts that aren't fully devoted to God because we somehow think other parts are. 
Um, and so it's very subtle, um, but I think vital to consider if we claim that everything in our life is to be done to the glory of God. Um, you know, there, there's areas in our life that we approach in a neutral manner because we have these boxes, right. you know, church, school, work, um, so on and so forth, but it all intermixes. You just have this one life. And so because we might be faithful in one area, that, that has no bearing on a life, the single life that's fully devoted to God in all respects. And so if one area of our life is not fully devoted, it has this way of pulling the rest of our life away from God. Um, examples of this would be, you know, dating a person, for instance, that we know we shouldn't be dating. Um, certain TV shows you watch, books that we read, certain hobbies that we have, even rationale for why we make certain career choices. Right. Though it might be a good career choice. Um, in and of itself. In a neutral sense. Right. Right. Um, but what's the motivation for that? What's the goal of that? And and that goes back to, I think we've said in other podcasts, how often people, if if we're asked for counsel, I'm thinking about doing X, um, and they want counsel, and the suggestion is, I don't think that's wise. Um, here's why. And then they, that invariably the question is, well, is it sinful? And it's like okay. you're... Or what's wrong with it? Yeah. Sure, yeah. And, and you're like... Okay, you're not asking for that. That's easy. Yeah, no, you're not allowed to steal from the bank. I'm sorry, uh, thou shalt not steal. Right. Oh, okay, thanks. Uh, I won't do that then, Pastor. It's not. It's it's going to be, should I buy that extra piece of property? Should I buy this? Should I go into debt for that? Um, and they're, they're ones where we just think somehow they're neutral, mm-hmm. they're safe, and, and we're not discerning that there's something driving that. What's the heart? What's the motive? Uh, what's our own tendencies or weaknesses? Yeah. And that's that's the value, I think, of a good pastor, too, who knows you and knows your, your bents and your tendencies. If you're just approaching the Bible as this black and white thing where I'm looking for a command that says yes or no, likely you're always going to just go with what your desire is. Yeah. But counsel always comes to those gray areas based on who you are, what your bents are, things you're prone to. And here's where a friend or a pastor can begin to bring the Word of God to bear on that given who you are. Well, that get, gets into our podcast we just published on friendship, too, the faithful or the wounds of yeah. a friend who is going to tell you sometimes things that you don't want to hear. Uh, it, it hurts you or annoys you or discourages you even. But it's like you need to listen and you need yeah. to think. Just just think. When you go home and think about it, uh, I, I can't count the number of times I've just looked at a person in my office and appealed of, would you just... Think about that's all I'm asking. I'm not saying you can't, but would you think about? It? Would you give it? You don't have to act on this right away. So think about it, and and all I'm asking him to do is discern, discern right. motives, discern desires, um, discern consequences that you right now. What's wrong with taking this new job that's now offered me another hundred thousand dollars a year? And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you don't even give anything now, yeah, and you're already in debt. And you can't say no to this and can't say no to that. Why Why would you want more money that will just open up new opportunities to go even further down the road where you can be trapped? Yeah. You know, is that good? I guess. So in all of that, what we want to do is talk about discernment, um, which is, again, the handmaiden of decision making. Um, and we gave you a few key reasons why you need discernment. So now what we're going to do is kind of shoot through several uh, how issues of how do you then develop uh, discernment? Yeah. And first of all, you need to understand the whole Bible assumes it, right? Um, 
Eve showed no discernment and was deceived. Adam showed no discernment and chose his wife over obedience. Joshua calls Israel to choose whom they're going to serve. In other words, discern this, figure this out. Um, Paul tells us not to be conformed, like you said, to this world, which can only be done if you can discern what belongs to the world. Um, Every book of the Bible assumes you're making discerning type of decisions. Even the selection of animals uh, for sacrifice in Leviticus, uh, in Leviticus 10.10 specifically, you must first discern if your fact, your fact, your (laughs) sacrifice uh, met the standards. You have to look and say, yeah, 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 it's not, you don't just go grab any old lamb. (laughs) You got to look and say, is this one without blood? You're discerning these things. And when you take it to be sacrificed, then the priest is looking and discerning, is this an appropriate one? We literally are in a, in a state of constantly seeking to discern, but I think most people are not aware that they're doing that. Right. And so, yeah. So, what's the first how? The first one is, um, well, we see it by thinking about Solomon, um, that we must first resi- resist the temptation of thinking that we have arrived or arrived yeah. theologically. Yeah. Um, you know, we can't assume that past obedience or prior obedience means that future obedience is now open for discussion. Um, a, a discerning mind is an obedient mind. Uh, a discerning mind is one that is always asking how, uh, a per- how they're modeling obedience to God's revealed word. And so we'll say, show me a disobedient Christian and we can show you an undiscerning Christian. Right. Um, you know, so a, a, a Christian needs to be confessing and repenting and um, all th- constantly, and then all things are going to co- become more clear to him. It, it, that's such a simple thing, but um, again, what is heartbreaking for any person, but I, I'm thinking pastorally again, just because that's what I am. I think of, of what John writes. I think it's in the second John, but it could be third. But that what makes him happy and they gives thanks for and his rejoices is that the people are walking in truth. Mm-hmm. Um And nothing is more heartbreaking than to have somebody that you care for and you love and you saw growing and flourishing and doing so well. And then you see them and they're just broken and and trapped in so many different webs because of a a decision, a decision where it felt good, it looked comfortable, and they didn't consider their way. And and so like Solomon, they're thinking... I just got passive. Yeah, Yeah. I'm doing really good. I, I, I... I was I won all my awards in Awana, you know, uh, whatever it might be. And now look at you five years later, and you're in the depths of despair because you. Could you imagine how, if we were Solomon, how much we would justify? What I mean, so so God gave me a very special kind of God-given wisdom, and everything He touched turns to gold, right? He just multiplies His fortunes. He's yeah, I mean, very wise. And how how much you could just rest on those laurels, and therefore work in your head that, well, I'm a wise man, therefore I can just make wise decisions. Which would then go back to your point of, and then forget that there's this age yep. that's broken and fallen and twisted that's pushing on you every, and we can't even imagine the pressures he's under right, as, yeah, a king, as a king of a whole nation. I mean, I screw up with my household. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I don't even want to think about that. So yeah. that's the first one. Um, the The second thing on how is that we need to learn to um, examine. Um, in First Thessalonians 5, 21, 22, it says, but examine everything 
or judge, um, discern, everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. What's interesting is the context of the prior verse is saying, don't despise prophetic utterances, and that's the context. So there are people who are in the church in Thessalonica, and they're saying that God has said, and then fill in the blank, and it's no different today, right? How many people have come to you and said, you know, God told me, and and you're just looking at them open mouth, like, I don't think so. <laughs> um, and But they're like, they're sure that God told them, or somebody said that God told them something that the person needs to do. Um, so he doesn't say to them, just reject it. Rather, instead, he says, examine everything. And the question is, if it's good, if it's upright, if it's of value, embrace. But if it's not overtly good, then reject. But you have to, you don't just take it passively. You have to listen to it and say, let me think about that. Um, in other words, and then he says, abstain from every form of evil, meaning that evil is going to come in all kinds of disguises. Right. Um, it's subtle more often than it's obvious. Um, evil is is at work, in other words, in and through many supposed claims of prophecy. And so, before we grab hold of some sort of statement that's given by someone, um, we need to examine it. We need to think about it, and, and we need to have that ability to discern whether what was said is something that's even worthy of our time. Uh, it's actually very similar to another passage uh, in 1 John 4, 1, where it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So how do we know if a teacher is from, literally from God? Is, is that his source? Um, do we just assume they are? Do we just assume that because in the past they said many good and helpful things, that therefore all things taught are now still good? And the only way that we really can handle that is if we are strong in our theology. And, and we, we, right. we can never under, uh, overemphasize that. Uh, the better we are in our theology, do we know what is from God? In other words, right? right. The young Christian is all over the map, and, and I'm never shocked with that. Um, you know, it's like, cut the person slack. They're, they're a year old in the faith. But as they're growing in it, I, I put more and more demands on people as they're growing in their knowledge. Um, because what we're called to do is know what belongs to God and what doesn't. And the only way you know that is knowing what the Bible says. Right. Um, a, a third way to learn discernment is to emulate those who are your leaders. And, and not just what they do the reasons for why they do what they do and the motivations behind those things. Um, of course, this assumes that you have godly, careful, biblically centered leaders to follow. So that's the major assumption. Um, it assumes that these leaders are following and learning from other godly leaders as well. Um, and so who, who are the people that speak in, into their lives, your pastor's lives, your leader's lives. Um, but on this Ephesians four talks about the giving to the church, men who are building up the body. Uh, and so in verse 12, it says that they are to equip the believers and build them up into Christ-likeness. Um, and so how long do they labor in this, according to that verse? Well, until the church is built up into the unity of the faith. Now, what's the faith? That body of doctrine. Right. Yeah. Right. It's not faith in some personal what I believe faith, yeah. or my how convinced I am of something. It's, it's that body of truth, the Bible, biblical doctrine, until there's a unity within the body, within the church. 
of that. Um, and so he's being very doctrinal here. Yeah. So we need to grow in a unity of the faith. It's never healthy when a church has 20 different theologies in the pew. Right. Um, and they're all comfortable. Or in the leadership. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then in verse 14, he says, as a result, so what's the result of this then, of this laboring in the faith? We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. Um, and that's discernment. Um, this is discernment. As, as pastors, we spend a lot of time trying to stop people from allowing voices, uh, annoying voices, voices we wouldn't agree with to speak into the lives of, of these people. Um, these are voices which are deadly. They're, they're yeah. voices which are, are foolish. Uh, we know that there's a lot of winds of doctrine out there and we know that, that people are led astray. We see this. Um, and we also know that these voices are crafty and tricky as Paul says, um, they're not easily discerned. Um, and we know that people get tired and sometimes lazy and they decide to stop running and resisting these schemes of Satan. And, and when we say lazy, we don't even mean that in a pejorative way. It's just, I mean. It's the nature of humans. You, you get yeah, passive. You, and, and tired. I mean, you, we're all parents, right? We are, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's hard. There's just days you're like, I'm tired, and and you choose to let something slide that you want, right? I, I mean, unless you guys are unlike no, me. Right. It's hard. <laughs> and and you, same thing at work, where you just, I'm going to overlook it. It's just whatever. Mm -hmm. And we talk ourselves into it because we're tired and we're worn down. And, and we don't think, we think we're doing fine so we can kind of rest for a little bit. And um, I'm, I, this is my saying, but I'm sure I'm not original. You know, whenever you see a Christian who's coasting, they're always coasting backward. There is, right. it, it, you're always going uphill. There's never a time. You're never falling into anything good. No. And, and yet, I know I've talked myself into, yeah. you know, man, I've been doing so good. And... And then I get kicked in the teeth. And I always watch it when everything is going good. And I'm like, okay. Well, that's actually wise. Yeah. yeah. I always, you know, you get scared. I'm like, okay, I'm putting my guard. You start to put your guard down. You naturally do it. Uh, I think it's John Owen in the uh, doctrine of putting to death the flesh. He talks about the fact that your flesh is most dangerous when it's most quiet. Meaning you think you're doing great because you're not yeah. having all this battle. Yeah. And, and he says, because it's like a river. It's very deep in those places. Yeah. But you're right. Things are going, well, man, I seem to have victory. My prayer life is good. I'm up to date with my Bible reading. Bam. Yep. And then. Well, I just, that was yep. what I, yep. the thing I tried <laughs> yep. to point yep. out uh, in Luke 4. When in your sermon. Yeah. When it said, and then, and then when the 40 days were completed of those testings, then he became hungry. Yeah. You did a good job on that. And then the, the devil draws near at that point. Um, at his lowest point, his weakest, right. where he's almost done. He thinks he probably thinks the devil left after yeah. these 40 days of assaults. So he, he lets that guard down a little bit. Then he becomes hungry. Then the devil draws near with those big temptations. Yep. That, that was well done. Um, yeah. So in, in he, yeah, and so in Hebrews 13 on this point still, we read the, uh, these words. Uh, the writer says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? for they keep watch over your souls. How as those who will give an account, let them do this with joy and not with grief. Why? For this would be unprofitable for you. Um, or 
earlier in the same chapter, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. That's one of my favorite because he's basically saying just look at the fruit of their lives. Mm. Um, don't don't just listen to what they say, but look at that which they produce. Um, so, and well, by the way, that then presumes that they've been laboring with you for a while. In fact, this text implies, I think I said this in another podcast, that we're not talking about in the state, necessarily in the state of their current ministry, but at the end of their life, you're looking now at the end of their life, yeah. they passed away and you're, mm-hmm. you're asking. Um, now, my pastor is John MacArthur. That's who I would claim to be my pastor. Um, and he's not with the Lord yet, but he's got 50 years under his belt. I'm able to look and say, I can point to places where I disagree or I, th- I thought he could have done something much better or whatever. But when you look at the conduct of his life, yeah. I'm, I'm humbled. I'm humbled yeah. that God blessed me with being able to be around him for 10 years and learn from him and be trained under him. Um, but yeah, it's, it's looking at the fruit because no one can hide the fruit. It right. eventually... Whatever you're really planting comes yeah. to fruition. Well, and, you know, so sometimes people will say to us, well, I don't, I don't like that, or I don't like the way that you do that or something. And my re- response to them will be, but look at the fruit of that. And when you can agree with the fruit, but you just don't like the method, mm. I'm like, well, now you're disobeying a clear directive of Scripture where he says, um, remember those who spoke the word of God to you, consider the result of their conduct, now command, imitate that. And so if it, it's like, well, we agree on theology, but we disagree on practice. It's like, then you're not observing the result of that yeah. faith. So what's so, the final way? Well, there's that famous statement then. Um, orthodoxy is not the same as orthopraxy, right? right? Just because a guy has great theology doesn't mean he's got great practice. He's right. not living that theology and and a pastor, but actually all Christians should be seeking to blend those two into a seamless whole of, I'm I'm living the right way because my theology is right. Um, You can't do one or the other. You need both of those. And that's what he's saying is look at these people. They may have taught you well, but did they they live it out themselves? And if they did, follow them. Mm -hmm. Do, you know, they're a living example for you to follow. So then there's one final way, and that is, uh, we've already talked about briefly, it's in Romans 12, it's renew your mind in the Word. Um, by the way, I might add, none of these are really deep, no, <laughs> are they? Right? I mean, yeah. it's not, not, I, I'm sure I have not told you anything. You know, yeah. like, this is it. It's like, but we forget. Yeah. We yeah. forget. I mean, it's t- terrible, but we do. So renew our mind in the Word. Uh, we are not to be conformed into this age's way of thinking. It's constantly pressing on us. There's never, this is the thing I think we forget, is there's never a moment of reprieve. And and the how of that we can be renewed is by renewing our mind in the Word. Now, he doesn't expressly say the Word in that passage, but it's actually implied in verse 1 where it says, Therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifice. And that phrase, by the mercies of God, is actually him referencing verse chapters 1 through 11. Right. In other words, I just gave you 11 chapters of doctrine yeah. and truth. 
in, and that's God's mercy. I've revealed to you the mercy of God for you, a wretched sinner, saved by grace, kept by the Spirit's power. You're more than conquerors. You're to count yourself as dead in sin. All of those great truths in light of that now live this way and think this way. Um, in other words, he's pointing backward to his own doctrine that he wrote in the Word. And it's very typical. Uh, he writes his books First, it's doctrinal, and then the second half is always practical. And what I find a lot of people do accidentally, uh, they just don't realize what they're doing, is they jump, what do I do? And they go to the last half of Ephesians. You know, oh, I need to do that. But they they don't know anything about the first half, that in light of these things, I don't do this. Or they're in love with the first half. They love their theology, but they couldn't care for their wife to save their life. They could not. You know, as we teach in premarital, you know, preach Christ to their wife every day in word and deed. And they, deed. Yeah, right. they're constantly displaying an image of Christ. I mean, that's, there's three men here, one woman. That's the hardest job of any husband as a Christian man is we fail. I mean, we're, we're being expected to model for our wife the love of Christ. And it's like, oh, gee, yeah. you know, it's hard and we fail. Yeah. Um and so we, we, we ignore the doctrine or we ignore um, the practice of that doctrine. So it's a classic Pauline idea of putting off and putting on. Don't be conformed. That's a put off. But instead be transformed by putting on. Um, but he doesn't stop there. He gives the purpose so that you may prove or discern the will of God, which leads to a life that's good, acceptable, and perfect. And that's where we can fall short. Um, we, we get that right theology, but we fail to use the right theology as a means of now controlling and shaping our discernment. Um, so now I know the word, and now I got to make a decision because I, I just inherited $500,000. Now, you, I don't know about you, but if I had that, yeah. There'd be all kinds of pressures and temptations. Now, am I going to allow the word to speak into that? Or now does the wor- world now just press yeah. in and I give into it? Yeah. And so getting right theology isn't sufficient. It's that right theology now informs every single decision making for every single area of life. Are, are we able to say that? Is it the grid through which you force every part? And we're, we're, we're not going to apologize for that. We, we really mean that. Every part of our life through it. It's, it's a very active uh, process. And so the 1689 gang, um, they've been very kind in their references to uh, this podcast. And uh, we follow them on Facebook. I, I don't follow them on Instagram because I hate Instagram, but on Facebook I do. And they had this meme. And usually it's like a dog staring straight at you. And the question is, um, if the dog's looking at you or something like that, oh, it means yeah. you haven't read your Bible yet. Yeah. Or some, Their point is, read your Bible, read your Bible. And it's cute, it's funny, but it's actually very true. And I, I wonder how many people see that chuckle and flip on by it, yet they still haven't read their Bible instead of like, that's really good. Let's put my Facebook down for a moment, pick up my Bible and, and just read. Um, because a mind not constantly and consistently taking the word is a mind that's being conformed to this world. Simple as that. Yeah. So more can be added to this. But likely, not tonight. Right. Likely we'll talk more on it. But 
Yeah, that, that's enough, I think, for us to think on. Discernment, though, is a rare jewel today. In fact, you uh, argued in, that we should write a book. Called, called The Rare Jewel of Christian Discernment. It's a uh, riff on Jeremiah, Jeremiah. Burroughs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, We're really good Christian at coming up with cool titles for just books. Just no books yet. Yeah, yeah, we just don't write anything. Um, <laughs> but, but discernment is something to be cultivated and, and, and practiced and honored. Um, and so we hope that in some small way, uh, this will help you press on um, in this discipline in these days and weeks to come. Like and share. Rate and review. Rate and review.